In Numbers chapter 20, in verse 2, we read, And there was no water for the congregation, and they gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. And the people chode with Moses and spake, saying, Would God that we had died with our brethren, died before the Lord. And why have you brought us up to the congregation of the Lord into the wilderness that we, should, uh, that we and our cattle should die there? And wherefore have you made us come up out of Egypt to bring us into the evil place? It is no place of seed or figs or vines or pomegranates, neither is there any water to drink. And Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And they fell upon their faces, and the glory of the Lord appeared unto them. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Take the rod, and gather thou the assembly together, thou and Aaron thy brother, and speak ye unto the rock before their eyes, and it shall give forth his water. And thou shalt bring forth them water out of the rock, so thou shalt give the congregation and their beasts drink. And Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he was commanding him, and Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation together before the rock, and he said to them, Hear now, ye rebels, must we fetch you water out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand, and with his rod he smote the rock twice, and water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank, and their beasts also. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron, Because you believe me not to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel, Therefore you shall not bring this congregation into the land which I have given them. This is the water of Meribah, because the children of Israel strove with the Lord, and he was sanctified in them. I want to for a few minutes talk about God's friend failed. Think about that. God's friend failed him. Of all the people mentioned in the word of God, Moses is one of the only ones who was ever referred to as the friend of God. And Moses failed God in the final analysis. Wouldn't it be great if we as Christians never failed? Wouldn't it be great if we never told a little white lie or if we never made a promise that we didn't break? Wouldn't it be nice if we always kept our word? And Wouldn't it be great if we never lost our temper and never lost our cool and, and never showed any anger whatsoever? But brothers and sisters, I remind you uh, that we can't do that. We all know someone who's failed miserably uh, through some moral indiscretion someone that's lost their temper, someone that's lied, someone that's made mistakes along the way. And sadly, failure of some kind is common to every one of us at some point within your life or my life. That's the way life goes. We're not perfect people. And yet that is the same thing that happened to this man by the name of Moses. He failed at the very end of his very distinguished career. And yet to understand the details, let's revisit an incident uh, that happened nearly 40 years earlier at the beginning of the wilderness wandering. You will recall, I'm sure, that God had led the nation of Israel through the hand of Moses out of the bondage of Egypt across the Red Sea miraculously, and now they were heading into the promised land, but they were in the wilderness. And while they had gone a couple weeks out into the wilderness, and now they were deep, if you will, uh, into that wilderness journey, uh, the Bible lets us know uh, that the people became angry with Moses uh, because they were thirsty and they had no water to drink. And yet during that same time, they not only blamed Moses, but they quarreled against him saying, you have brought us out here in this wilderness that we might thirst to death. And Moses was fearful that they might pick up stones and begin to stone him to death. 
Then he cried out to God and, and received these instructions from the Lord. Behold, I will stand before thee upon the rock in Horeb, and thou shalt smite the rock, and there shall come water out of it, that the people may drink. And Moses did in the sight of the elders of Israel. Now the rod that Moses had, he uses his, his humiliating days when he was there uh, in the area of Midian. It reminded him of the commission that God gave him, and it also reminded him of the power and the authority that God had given him to do the work that he himself was called to do. Can you only imagine that these people came to Moses, we're starving to death, we're thirsty, you brought us out here to die, yada, yada, yada. And God said, Moses, take that rod and hit that rock. And when he did, water came out. Can you imagine the joy? Can you imagine the excitement? Can you imagine how thrilled they were? The same God that parted the Red Sea is still working miracles for them. In the midst of their murmuring, complaining, God was still blessing them. And water came out, they had their thirst was quenched and their animals' thirst was quenched as well. But because the people tested uh, the, the Lord there, Moses gave this place two names. Uh, he named it Amasa, meaning test, uh, uh, testing, and he named it Meribah, meaning quarreling. After they spent about two years there at Mount Sinai, the Bible said they then went into Kadesh Barnea, and right before they got ready to cross over the Jordan River, uh, God told Moses to send out 12 spies uh, to look at the land. The 12 spies went out and looked at the promised land, and 10 of them came back with an evil report. They said it's well-walled cities. There's giants in the land. And they had all other types of pessimistic jargon uh, that rolled out of their mouth. The fear, the unbelief caught like wildfire as it spread throughout the camp of Israel. Over two million people were now panicking. We can't do what God said we can do. We can't have because what God said we could have because of the giants in the land, uh, because of the well-fortified city. We're nothing but a bunch of grasshoppers in the sight of those giants that live over there on the other side. Their pessimism had to stink in the nostrils of God. And it didn't do Moses any good either. And yet Moses went to bat. He went to pray to God. He interceded for the nation of Israel that God would forgive them of their unbelief, that God would forgive them of their fear. And God did forgive them, but there was a stern judgment that came upon them for their unbelief and fear. The Bible said that all of the adults of Israel, they had to die in the wilderness and they were not allowed to enter into the promised land. It was only the children uh, that grew up to adults uh, that were able to enter the promised land. So for 38 more years, uh, they circled in that wilderness until each and every one of the adults died. Can you imagine that? Now let's fast forward if we can. Toward the end of the 40-year period that we've talked about while the nation was preparing to cross over the Jordan River. Once again, the congregation was angry at Moses. Why? Because they again were thirsty. No water. Moses spoke to God about the situation and God instructed him, Moses, do you see the rock before you? Yes, sir, I do. Speak to the rock and water will come out of it. Yet we read this morning in our text that Moses did not speak Moses hit the rock not once, but Moses hit the rock two times. And as a result of that, in his anger, he failed God. In his anger, he disobeyed the instructions of the Lord given him, and the consequences was more severe than he himself could ever imagine. Notice if you're this morning, look at the failure of Moses on three different perspectives. Number one, let's look at it from the perspective of Moses. Maybe Moses felt some justification in having a temper. Maybe Moses felt some justification in losing his temper and hitting that rock. Maybe it felt good to hit that rock two times. Why? Think about it. It could have been uh, some way of serving as an emotional release 
that he thought he might have needed. God knows I've hit my share of walls. God knows I've hit my share of mailboxes. God knows I've hit my share of stop signs and anything else that would not move. Oh man, the swing feels good, but that sudden stop hurts. Anybody know what I'm talking about out there? That sudden stop hurts. Moses might have been nursing old wounds. He had a history of dealing with people that left him frustrated. He had a history of dealing with people that left him angry. Let me tell you something, friend. Leadership is not easy. Leadership is not easy. Can you say amen? Uh, The critics come out of the cracks telling you what you ought to have done and what you ought not to have done. If it's so easy, then why don't you do it? There's a lot of Monday morning quarterbacks that tell you how the job ought to be done. And Moses was that way. Back in Egypt, 80 years earlier, uh, when Moses walked around watching the plight of the people and the unfair treatment uh, the Egyptians were placing upon the nation of Israel, uh, Moses tried to interfere and tried to intervene, but no, they rejected him. On another occasion, Moses saw an Egyptian uh, killing uh, one of the Israelites and Moses killed, uh, beating up on him, and Moses killed him. And once again, uh, they complained against Moses and they rejected Moses and he felt deeply hurt and rejected again. His Moses were his, his his motives were always questioned, and more than not, his commitment was questioned to them as well. The emotional scar of that rejection over and over again. It maybe it healed and maybe it did not heal, but it could be that Joseph, uh, that Moses may have felt justified in hitting that rock two times because I'm not saying it was right. I'm saying this may have been a reason. Then 40 years, he was hammered day and night by a congregation of complaints of people. And every time they had a test, the loyalty to him was weakened more and more and more. He got tired of their anger. He got tired of their rebellion. He got tired of their unbelief. He got sick and tired of them. Plain and simple. You ever get sick and tired of people? And you are one. You ever watch the Andy Griffith show? You can watch that thing 40 times a day and you're still going to laugh and you know what's coming. But I remember one time that Andy had been fed up. The sheriff of Mayberry was fed up. And he told Barney, I'm sick of you. I'm sick of this town. I'm sick of my job. And I'm wanting out of town. We all felt, Moses must have felt that. Well, can you imagine this rebellious, hard-headed group of people that he had tried to lead and feed for all those many, many years? He'd grown tired. And this time the attack was more cruel. They attacked his motives and they said, you brought us out here that we may die of thirst. And listen, and wherefore have you made us to come up out of Egypt to bring us into this evil place? It's no place of seed or figs or vines or pomegranate, neither is there water to drink. Now that took rocket science to fill out, to figure out. Surely there's no water in the desert. There's no pomegranates in the desert. There's no grain in the desert. That's what's supposed to be in the promised land. But God said, I'll meet every need you have in the desert to get you to the promised land, Luther. Just trust God in those hard places. Brothers and sisters, I remind you, we must have really hurt Moses when he realized that the generation he was leading now was no different than the generation that had just died. These kids that grew up, that took the place of the former generation, were acting just like their parents. Can you imagine that? If the old generation received the judgment of God, what about this new generation doing the same thing all over again? And Moses could have said, is this my reward for being faithful to these hard-nosed, rebellious people? Can you not see yourself in the story? Many of us have been hurt, disappointed in our walk with God and disappointed in our ministry with God as well.
Many of us read the New Testament and say our lives are not lining up with what the New Testament says I should look like, I should act like, or what I should have. And my friends, people have betrayed us. They have thrown us under the bus. They have done things and blamed it on us. And the list goes on and on and on. Some of us feel like that we've tried to feed the sheep and lead the sheep and they turn around and bite your hand. They leave one fold and go to another fold. Uh, they criticize your emotions. They criticize your motives. They criticize your prayer. They criticize your methods. They criticize your sermon. They criticize the clothes you wear. They criticize your work ethic. They criticize the car you drive and the list goes on and on and on. You want to hit something sometimes. And I believe that's what Moses was feeling. Moses had enough. He took the rod of God that God gave him, but he did not use the rod of God this time the way God told him to. God said, Moses, speak to the rock. And rather than that, Moses hit the rock two times. But as the stream of water gushed out, Moses probably saw the running water and he thought he was justified in his anger for hitting that rock two times. But there's another side of the story as there always is. Look at it we are from the people's perspective. Why didn't, what did the people think about Moses for hitting the rock? What do you think they felt like? They were indifferent to his burst of anger. They didn't know what was going on. They didn't know that Moses had disobeyed the Lord. In probability, Moses didn't go to the people and say, I'm so sorry, people. I was supposed to not hit the rock. I was supposed to speak to it. They were not privy to the conversation that Moses and God had. They weren't privy to it whatsoever. The people of Israel were not privy to the fact that their leader had just failed a critical test. And I'm sure his heart was full of condemnation and full of pain. The people could have cared less. All they wanted was water. And all they needed was water. And because Moses hit the rock, the water was pouring out. They were satisfied. They could care less how the water got there. All they were concerned about is we have the water. The people and the cattle were satisfied. Their thirst was quenched. Friend, when you're dying of thirst, you don't care how you get the water as long as the water gets there. You're rarely concerned with the details. If hitting the rock worked, no big deal. Why worry about that? What's wrong with it? Why be so bothered with such a small technicality? Small technicalities are extremely important to a big God. Leaders soon realize that people want results at any cost. Our culture says people vote with their pocketbooks. The, 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 the morality of the leader does not matter. The vast knowledge of economics doesn't matter. The expertise or lack thereof when it comes to foreign relations doesn't matter. That won't win you elections. Even if money is borrowed from future generations as it is to take care of present needs, we don't care. Just meet our needs now. Give me what I want now. I want a paycheck, but I don't want to work for it. That's where we are. Forget morals. Forget about godly wisdom. Forget about biblical principles. For that sake, forget about a plain old wisdom, if you will. Just give us what we want. The how is not important. The what is. I said, there are generation, the how is not important. The what is. Blessed is the leader who can rule on the basis of principle rather than the basis of results. My friends, hear me. Present results are important, but future consequences are more important. Amen. Did you hear me? Present results are important, but so are future consequences.
Notice God's perspective. God looked at the situation different than Moses. God looked at the situation even different than the Israelites themselves. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, since you did not trust in me to treat me as holy in the sight of the sons of Israel, for that reason you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given you. Did you see that God looked at Moses' anger and temper as disobedience? Did you see that? God said to Moses, you did not believe in me. Unbelief treats the almighty God questioning whether or not he is worthy for us to obey him. Did you see that that sink in? Unbelief is disrespectful to the holy character of the almighty God. No wonder I pray many times, God, I believe, but help my unbelief. I believe, but help my unbelief. Notice, if you will, when we get further into this, what appeared to be a minor infraction to men was a serious breach of confidence in the Almighty God. What seemed to be small potatoes to men was something big with God. Since God was with him, the words Moses spoken would have been enough. In other words, God was with his friend. He called God friend. Moses is my friend, God said. And because of that relationship, and God said, speak the rock, he shouldn't have had to hit it. God told me to speak to this rock. Rock, bring forth water. But no, he allowed anger, he allowed his temper to get in the way and it broke the heart of God. And Moses paid dearly for that as well. As a result of hitting the rock rather than speaking the rock, God commanded both Moses and Aaron, they were forbidden to enter into the promised land. They were leading the nation of Israel to it, but they were not allowed to go in. Can you imagine They had dreamed of it. They saw it. They envisioned it. They lived it every day. We're going to the promised land. What do you think caused Moses to get up every day to work? Not because he always was in tune with what was going on, but not because he loved the people all the time. Not because he loved everything he did. He had a battle to face in that leadership every day of his life, but it was the call of God. It was the end of where he was going that kept him going. And now with one act of rage, of temper, and of anger, he can't go to the promised land. The dream died at his feet. The plan of God that he'd been planning on all of his life was shattered lying on the ground before his very steps. And he was not allowed to enter into the promised land. For 40 years, that's all they talked about was the promised land. And now they cannot enter it. They would not be allowed to finish the task that God had called them to do. Was the judgment too severe? We would ask. From the standpoint, ours is human. It's hard to believe that God would discipline Moses the way that he did. His friend, his confidant, you judge him like that for one act of uncontrolled anger? But God never acts without reason. God always has a reason for what he does, and he always has a reason for doing things the way that he does them. His discipline always fits the offense, even when we do not understand it. Too many times as Christians, we want to tell God how to mind his own business. Amen? I said too many times as Christians, we want to try to tell God how to mind his own business. We think sometimes God is unreasonable. God is overbearing. And sometimes God is hard-nosed. But everything God does, he does it based upon his righteousness. He does it based upon his wisdom. And he does it based upon his holiness. Now look at some things from God's point of view. First of all, the rock symbolized Jesus. 
Paul said, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that our fathers were all under the cloud, and they all passed through the sea, and they all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and they all ate the same spiritual food. Moses was commanded to strike the rock the first time because Jesus was struck one time on the cross. But Moses was to speak to the rock the second time because the refreshing comes out of the rock. Not because the rock was beaten, but the refreshment always comes from the rock. Not to beat it, but thank God we can go to the rock of our salvation and not hit him for something, but say, Lord Jesus, I need to flow out of my belly rivers of living water. We ask the rock, we speak to our rock, we don't hit the second time. Jesus was crucified once and the price he paid then gives us everything we need. We speak to him, we worship him, we praise him, we don't beat him up again. Moses broke the Old Testament type of Jesus Christ. Secondly, Moses may not have understood the symbolism, but he should have known it was not necessary to know why God commanded him what he commanded. He was simply to obey him. There have been times God has asked me to do things I did not want to do, but I did them. And there are times that God has asked me not to do some things I wanted to do, and I've tried to do that. And there have been many times God has asked me to do things that makes no sense whatsoever. And I don't sit there and try to rationalize. I just simply want to try to obey. Why? I know God knows what he's doing, even I don't. And I'm going to be honest with you, there are times I get angry. Do you? There are times I want to hit something because I get angry. And there are times I have hit things because I'm angry. But I've got to sit back and say, God, you're God, I'm not. It makes no sense what you're doing. I remember years ago, an old guy walked down the road frustrated with God. He looked over and he saw a big old acorn tree, these old small acorns growing on it. He said, God, that makes no sense. Look at that watermelon patch. There's great old big watermelons on a little bitty vine. Why don't you put the acorns on the vine and watermelon up the tree? He kept walking, the wind blew, and an acorn hit him and said, thank God watermelons don't grow on trees. <laughs> Something simple to get a point across. God knows what he's doing. When our kids were small, I tried to instill in them, listen to mom and dad. I, I don't know how you raise your kids and forgive me if I'm meddling. I hate this stuff when you say, don't do that. One, two, three. The kids know they got three seconds to do something wrong. Now, what if there's a tractor trailer coming down the road and they're standing in the middle of it? Come here. One, two, by the third one, it's going to be a greasy spot in the road. We try to teach our kids, listen, when we say come, we mean come. We say jump, we mean jump. Why? Because it's not to argue with us. We see something you don't see. We know something you don't know. And if you love us and trust us, do what we say because we're trying to help you. We're trying to save you. We're trying to show you something. Don't argue with us. And I've tried to say the same thing with God's word. God gives us his commands not to imprison us, but to set us free. Don't argue with God's word. Don't argue with God's plan. Just do it. Amen. And if and when the kids didn't, I applied the Board of Education to the seat of knowledge so they would listen the next time. <laughs> Except for my daughter. She didn't get many. You have a different story? Secondly, Moses had such, such an intimacy with God that he should have known how important it was to obey. After all, God spoke to Moses as a friend speaks to a friend. Wow. 
He had been allowed to be with God, to see things, learn things, and do things with God that no other mortal man had ever been able to do. Disobedience was a violation of the special friendship between Moses and God. Even though God told Moses to speak the rock, he disobeyed, he hit the rock, water flowed out of it. It did not mean that God was pleased with what Moses did. We often think that results is what matters to God. Friend, results is not what matters. The process is just as important as the product. I said the process is just as important as the product. The blessings of God is not always proof that God is pleased with what we are doing or what we're not doing. Contrary to the Bible teaching, a believer may marry an unbeliever. And down the road, the unsaved spouse may get saved. They may have children that are saved and going to ministry and thank God for it. But God was displeased with the initial marriage. I read a story the other day about a pastor who had been in an adulterous affair. And he was confused because even though he was living in blatant sin, the church continued to grow and prosper, and he was confused by it. Even though his sins were caught and he paid a high price for it, the lesson to be learned that we cannot judge our action by short-term consequences. Brothers and sisters, I remind you, God can be grieved, with our, and he is with our unbelief and our fear, but God can forgive it. Moses was willing to take God an answer. As he later explained, he placed, he went to God in prayer, and Moses said, Lord, let me cross over and see the good land beyond Jordan and the good hill country and Lebanon. But the Lord was angry on me on your account, and he would not listen to me. Instead, the Lord said, Enough! Do not speak to me anymore about this matter. No matter how grieving and how repentant Moses was for hitting that rock, it kept him out of the promised land. Now, brother and sister, it's not a matter of forgiveness here. It's a matter of consequence. God forgave him for what he did, but there was a consequence to follow what he did. God forgives us of the sins we confess to him, but there's a consequence behind those sins that sometimes can hinder us all the days of our life. Understand this. He was told he was guilty, and he was and God said, don't talk to me anymore about any of the promised land. It's not going to happen to you. It's not going to happen for you. Notice some things Moses learned from his failure. Anybody ever failed God? Come on, I'm going to preach online one day. How many have not ever failed God? I want to shake your hand and then give you an altar call. During the time of soul searching after his failure, Moses wrote Psalm 90. And brothers and sisters, at failure, we need to make our failures stepping stones for our future and not stumbling blocks to keep us bound. Moses penned Psalm 90. He, he reminisces about the meaning of life and, the, and he copes with many regrets. He thinks about the faithfulness of God well with the frailty of man, but he also talks about the wholeness of God. He meditates how quickly life passes by and how different it could be. He begins by contrasting the frailty of man and God's eternity. He said, Lord, I have been our dwelling place to all generations. Before the mountains were born, oh, you gave birth to the earth and the world. Even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. God's existed from all eternity. 
God has no beginning. God has no end. I cannot fathom that. I do not swim that deep. He is, he's eternal. We are everlasting. We have a beginning, but we have no ending. And what Moses is saying, you are bigger than I am. You're more powerful than I am. You, have the, you can see further down the road than I can. Give me the wisdom to listen to you, to obey you, even when I don't understand it. That's the kind of God that we serve. You exist from all eternity. As for man, he said, you turn mortals back to dust and say, return, you sons of mankind, for a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it passes by or like a watch in the night. God is always there, but man's going to return to the dust. When you and I are long since dead and pushing up daisies and we're forgotten about, God will still be remembered. But when we're long past dead and pushing up daisies in the ground, God still remembers us. And I thank God he always remembers us. He's always there. We're like grass that grows in the morning and dies late in the afternoon. But even if a man dies to be 100 years old or lives to be 100 years old, that's nothing compared to God. A thousand days is like, a thousand years are like one day to the Lord. And next Moses contrasts our sinfulness with the holiness of God. Five times he uses the word anger or wrath. For example, he said, for we have been consumed by your anger and we have been terrified by your wrath. You have placed our guilty deeds before you, our hidden sins in the light of your presence. Moses was meditating upon the anger of God and may have been thinking about his own anger where he lost his temper. The only thing about losing your temper, uh, you're going to land in the wrong place. And when you fly off the handle, you're going to land in the wrong place every time. Now get this, anger is not a sin. It's an emotion. Jesus got angry in the temple. He turned over the tables of those selling their wares and he drove out the money changers, not because of what they're doing, but because they were charging exorbitant prices for what they're doing, ripping off the people. There's a time you can be angry and show it. God is a God of anger. I put on the church marquee one time, Jesus is coming soon and he's ticked. Made some folk mad. Oh, he's a God of love. Well, you read the Bible. His anger is going to be outpoured upon ungodliness upon this earth. It's about handling anger the right way. Moses stepped out of line with his anger, but God's anger is always just. And our angers can be just too if we do it in the right way. Moses going on and meditates on God's anger with disobedience, even perhaps hitting the rock he thought about. Our secret sins, God says, will come to God's knowledge. No wonder he writes, so teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. Each and every one of us are living on borrowed time, church. And I think what Moses is trying to say, at the end of my life, I blew it. At the end of my life, I made a grievous sin that broke the heart of God and questioned the integrity and the character of God. I mistreated God. And I think he's saying, number your days. Because not a one of us knows when we take our last breath upon this earth. And our last breath here will be our first breath on the other side. And we won't have time to make wrongs right. We won't have time to correct relationships. We won't have time to do any of those things whatsoever. We're living on borrowed time. There shall we meditate upon the days that we have. David said, Lord, let me know my end and what is the extent of my days. Let me know how transient I am. May God give us wisdom to live our life right here now in the light of God's coming eternity. Moses ended Psalm 90 thinking of our inner longings in our need for God's grace. Friend, we yearn for God. I pray you yearn for God. But I'm here to tell you, I'm never satisfied in my relationship with God. There is to me an unsatisfied satisfaction. 
I am pleased with my relationship with God as best I can, but I want more. I want more. I want more. I want more. There's an unsatisfied satisfaction on the inside. God has placed eternity in our hearts. When we look around, all we see is death and decay and dying and morbid stuff everywhere we look. But the labor of our lives are soon gone and we're no longer remembered after our death. But God remembers what we do for God stands for eternity. The Bible said, may the kindness of the Lord our God be upon us and confirm for us the work of our hands. Yea, confirm the work of our hands. Remember, God satisfied Moses' desire even after he failed. Moses was not allowed to go into the promised land. But understand this. Don't allow our past sins, our past failures, our past mistakes to rob us of present blessings and future blessings. Notice what happened how differently we would live our life if we knew the day that we were going to die. If you knew you had one week left, what would you do? How would you spend it? How would you invest it? What kind of shyness would have you witness to your neighbor? What kind of fire would it put in your belly? The fact is, we don't know how many days we have. That should be even a greater motivation for us to please God. Tomorrow may be our last. Now Moses prepared for his death by depositing the book he had written in the Ark of the Covenant and by training Joshua to take his place. To the very end, he exhorted the people with reminders of God's faithfulness and warned them of God's impending judgment. The book of Deuteronomy is a beautiful blend of history and a beautiful blend of practical doctrine. Now, God tempered his judgment upon Moses with mercy. God took him to Mount Nebo at Pisgah. He let him look to the north, the south, the east, and the west. He saw Lebanon. He saw Moab, Jericho. He, he saw the desert that he'd come through, the wilderness. And then the Bible said, Moses even saw that desert. Then he died, and God himself buried his friend, not entrusting Moses to a resting place even known by man. I don't know how this went, but could you imagine the friendship that Moses had with God and God had with Moses? And even though Moses was not allowed to enter the promised land, and Moses said, can I see it? And God said, enough. But then Moses, God takes Moses up on top of Mount Nebo. Look at it, son. Look at it. How do you think Moses felt? That's where I wanted to go. That's where I was destined to go. What kind of a conversation do you think they had together? They were friend to friend. God, I'm really sorry. I'm so sorry I embarrassed you in front of the nation of Israel. I'm so sorry I let you down. I'm so sorry for what I've done, God. And I think God said, son, I've forgiven you. But I want you to see sin has consequences. Wrongdoing has consequences. I've got to be true to my justice and true to my word, but I am going to temper my mercy with grace and my judgment with grace. He's able to see it. And then Moses was in good health, but I think God scooped him up in his arms and he carried his friend to a burial place somewhere in modern-day Jordan, which is Moab, Old Testament Moab, and he buried him. Even the devil contested and wanted the body of Moses, and we do not know why. There's a lot I could say here, but let me hasten on. If you look at it in Deuteronomy 34, 1 through 7, 
Now Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo to top of Pisgah, which is opposite Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land, Gilead as far as Dan, Naphtali, the land of Ephraim, Manasseh, all the land of Judah as far as the western sea, and the Negev and the territory in the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees as far as Zoar. Then the Lord said to him, This is the land which I swear to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give to your descendants. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you'll not go over there. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab in accordance with us, the word of the Lord. And he buried him in the valley, the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor. But no one knows his burial place to this day. Although Moses was 120 years old when he died, his eyesight was not dim, nor his vigor left him. Moses' transgression had been forgiven. The rod that God used to deliver Israel to part the Red Sea to strike the rock was now a commission. The rod that God used to bring great glory to him was now a commission. Moses was now dead. Today, Moses was not able to go into the glory land. But if you look at Matthew chapter 17, when Peter, James, and John went to the Mount of Transfiguration, and the power of God transfigured through Jesus. Two men showed up. Moses was one of them. Moses may not go into the earthly promised land, but he's beholding the glory of God today because he did not get bitter at God for not going in. He didn't get bitter at God's judgment upon him, and he did not hold himself back for the mistake he made. He submitted to the plan of God. Today he is surrounded by the glory of God Almighty. And today he is somewhere in heaven at the feet of Jesus Christ with his friend never ever to leave from him again. What am I trying to say? His life is a vivid remembrance that when we forsake the pleasure of sin for season, we can be blessed with God throughout all of eternity. Church, I don't know what you go through. I don't know what struggles you face, what battles you face, and how many times you've blown it with God. But let me tell you, God chastens us because he loves us and God wants to bring us back into fellowship and communion with him on a day-by-day -day basis so if and when we sin let the Holy Spirit take us to the woodshed because he only chastens those that he loves and we can be forgiven but there will be consequences to what we've done but God in the final analysis says you will be with me in glory. Amen.